Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed. So I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. Welcome to Birthful. I'm Adriana Lozada. That was definitely the hardest physical and mental thing I've ever done. And it was like, 
ah, I still feel it. Like these months later, like just, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was so empowering. Like that's the number one word I would use for it. That's Desiree Whittle reflecting on her second birth. You will see that for her to describe this experience as the hardest physical and mental things she's ever done is saying quite a lot. Desiree is an IVF warrior and doula, and for a long time, those two paths were intertwined as she trained to be a doula while going through fertility treatments. Then, after several losses, failed attempts, countless tears, and years providing doula support for other families expecting after the unexpected, Desiree finally found herself towards the end of a viable pregnancy. So for that first experience, Desiree had hoped for an unmedicated vaginal birth, but then at 30 weeks, she developed kidney stones that needed surgery. Due to other complications, she then went in for an induction at 37 weeks, which ended up in a cesarean birth after not dilating past four centimeters, developing preeclampsia, getting a magnesium drip, and having Horner syndrome from the epidural. Even though things went very differently than she had hoped for, she still considers that experience a very positive one, thanks in large part to having a team that supported her in being an active participant in the decision-making. After that, Desiree was certain she would never get pregnant again. But then again, life had other plans, and that's the story she's going to be sharing with us today. Here we go. Welcome, Desiree. I am really, really happy to have you on the show to hear your story. Thanks. And before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you identify. Sure. I'm a mom. I'm an IVF warrior. I am a small business owner of a birth doula business. Yeah. I think I'm like a fierce advocate of all things parent and motherhood. And it's been quite a journey for you. Just to recap, you had your first child four years ago after quite a number of mm -hmm. challenges, and then you mm -hmm. never thought you'd be pregnant again. Fast forward then to a year and a half ago. What happened? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think my husband and I were not doing a good job of practicing social distancing during <laughs> the pandemic. And why would we? Because as far as we know, we can't have kids. Like I had never gotten pregnant on my own. It was so far out of the realm of possibility in my mind that I will never forget. I said to my good friend who was also my doula, her name is Melissa. I said to her, like, why do I feel so stupid? Like, it's like my mom brain has come back. Little did I know that was like my first pregnancy symptom because I was literally walking around like, why, why am I losing words? What's happening to me? I think for most people, they would assume, wow, Desiree, you felt nothing but joy and excitement. And I did. And not but, but and all the feelings from that first IVF pregnancy were there. Total fear, even more so because with Ingrid, my daughter that's four, we had a PGS tested embryo. So I felt good knowing, okay, well, everything looks good, so to speak. This one, I'm like, well, there's no way this pregnancy is going to sustain. I mean, I obviously, most of the time we have abnormal embryos. This is just a fluke. I'm almost 40 now. And I had to sort of coach myself how I coach my clients about milestone chasing and trying to remain present. Explain to me more about milestone chasing, because ah. I think that's such a great concept to know. Yeah. So I always say, again, I always talk about 
expecting after the unexpected, right? I don't like to say pregnancy because I think that this could happen even if you're not the one carrying the baby. It doesn't matter if the baby is biologically yours or not. It could be surrogate. It could be same-sex couple, anything. But I think what happens when you're expecting after the unexpected is you've endured a lot of loss. I mean, even if you have never had quote unquote a loss, there's like the loss of the way you thought you were going to conceive or getting your period. That's a loss. And so when we're expecting after the unexpected, I think we continue to worry that those things are going to happen. But we also want to enjoy what we're feeling. So we create this milestone. And in our mind, I think we sort of lie to ourselves and say, okay, when we hit this milestone, I'm going to stop being anxious. I'm just going to enjoy my pregnancy. So typically the first one is, oh, when we have our first ultrasound. Cool. And then the first ultrasound comes and then you remember all of the things you heard in your support groups or that you read in Dr. Google and you create a next milestone. And that next milestone might be your anatomy scan or viability or when you can hear the heartbeat or the next and the next and the next. And when you're milestone chasing, you're just switching the anxiety. Of course. You're just prolonging it. And then you're in a constant state of anxiety. Definitely. That is not necessarily going to stop once you're holding your baby. Definitely not. I had postpartum anxiety after Ingrid because once I was holding her, I was like, okay, now that she's here, something bad is going to happen. Like I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I think you're sort of wiring your brain during 30 plus weeks to just feel anxiety. Why would that just stop after you give birth? Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns. And sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorn's roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar, and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert build portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier 
while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com or look for it at amazon.com. So what was the most successful thing that helped in letting you sort of let go of that anxiety or focus on being more present? Sure. What allowed me to be more present is early on knowing I am doing everything I can. Right. And if something happens, then it is out of my control. And just like with my first birth experience, I'm not going to look back and say, I should have blah, blah, blah. So one of the big things I did was build my dream team. Literally before I even told my husband I was pregnant, I was telling Melissa, I was like, okay, and you're going to be my doula for this. <laughs> like, Ready? Okay. The second thing that I wanted to do that I talked to people a lot about is who is going to be my medical support, right? I really wanted to have my daughter via a vaginal birth. And so I, first and foremost, I didn't want to find a provider who was VBAC tolerant, but rather pro VBAC. So that was the first thing I had to check off the list. The second was knowing what I knew about COVID policies, where am I going to be able to have both my partner and my doula, because a lot of places were limiting the amount of support. And then the next thing I wanted to do was focus on my mental health. So I made sure that I had my therapist on speed dial and sort of working through my fears and any trauma that I maybe didn't realize I had from my first birth, knowing that my daughter was asynclitic and I could have done better work with my body. I also started doing chiropractic very early on, as well as pelvic floor PT, as well as prenatal massages. And I even started floating during pregnancy, which was, it was so great. What were the benefits that you were feeling from it? Okay, so being pregnant when you have a toddler is crazy because they're not ready for the pause button. And just life, my business is really busy. And so it was it was like 90 minutes set aside that I had just for me and my baby to connect, which I loved. I also always walked out of there feeling much like lighter and comfortable in my body. Sometimes I would be sort of puffy and swollen and I would come out and I could spin my wedding rings around. I felt like the anti-inflammatory properties. And I also felt like I was giving her a lot of room to move, but just the relaxation benefits because sometimes it's hard to just really stop and pause and do nothing. And so I loved that. I loved Mm -hmm. it. So you have your team set up. You are working on like all the, your physical, mental... Yes. chemical and emotional aspects. Yep. Then 
How did it start? <laughs> Just like the birth workers curse, you think it's going to be what you want, right? <laughs> so pregnancy is going pretty well, I think. And my providers just decide that they want to start checking my urine a little bit earlier because I had preeclampsia with my first. And while my blood pressure is okay, we're sort of seeing this rise of protein in my urine. So we're going to keep an eye on it. And we sort of talked about an induction at 39 weeks, which I felt okay with. I knew it was my decision. And it was sort of, let's see where we're at 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 39 weeks. And if you're not comfortable, we'll wait. So two things about that. I weighed like the risks and the benefits. I talked with Melissa a lot about it. The second thing is that I made sure I told nobody about a possible induction because I knew I would get lots of calls asking what was going on. And I didn't want to be distracted in my mind about just letting it happen. So when I decided, okay, we can probably do the 39-week induction the first thing I did obviously was talk about like, well, how would we induce, right? Because I'm trying to stay as intervention free as possible. Now, obviously I've already introduced interventions, but unnecessary medical interventions. And the thing that I decided to do was start acupuncture. So induction acupuncture, I started at 37 weeks, twice a week. And then at the end of that first week, I agreed to a vaginal exam that if my midwife was able, she could do a membrane sweep so that I could try to show up for... My goal was to show up for my induction in a more favorable place. However, one thing that I did when I did do that vaginal exam for a potential sweep was I had decided early on that any vaginal exams that happened, I would not find out what the results of that vaginal exam was. I didn't want the the midwife to call out loud, oh, you're a blah, blah, centimeters dilated, blah, blah, face, because it doesn't matter, right? Like it's not a good indicator of when we will go into labor. And I know me personally that I'm like the biggest competitor with myself. And so what if she said something and I thought I was going through all this stuff and then I had another exam and I thought I made more progress than I actually did. I would have already started feeling down on myself. Didn't need that, Yeah, right? Those are what I call disappointing vaginal checks. Like yeah. they can get in your head and really yes. mess things up. Yes. And so I think I was supposed to go in on a Sunday morning. I was supposed to go in for my induction. So I had an acupuncture on Thursday, the fourth acupuncture. Now, every time I had acupuncture, something amazing happened. Like I lost part of my mucus plug or different things were happening. It was so different already from my first experience. And more than anything, right? Like I wanted to experience labor. Like I wanted to feel an uncomfortable contraction side note, be careful what you wish for, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I wanted to feel it and I've seen so many people do it and I just didn't get to feel any of those things. I wanted so badly for my labor to begin spontaneously. And Friday, I'm just like up putzing around and I'm like, oh, did I just like pee myself? And then I was like, "Eh, maybe I did. I just probably peed myself, like went to the bathroom. And then a little bit later I moved and like, oh my God, maybe I peed myself again. I'm like, is this a slow leak? Like, hmm, what's really happening? So I got on the ball, I bounced, nothing. 
So I was just kind of hanging out and like wetting myself over and over and over. So finally, after a few hours, I was like, uh, yeah, my water broke. Like this is not me peeing myself, but I felt a success, right? So right there, I paused. I mean, sorry, I paused and I was like, okay, count this as a success because your water ruptured on its own, right? And so that's cool. Things could things could get started, right? Like adding the word yet, just because I'm not contracting, like, okay, I haven't started contracting on my own yet. So I wanted to really stay in that positive headspace. And so I talked to my midwife at like 10 o'clock at night and she's like, all right, look, let's just see what happens. Hopefully you call me overnight and you're in labor. And if not, call me in the morning. I was like, okay. So I slept through the night. <laughs> Which is up. probably the best thing you can do. Totally. Get some rest. Like yeah. you don't want to go into labor having been up all night the night before. No way. Totally. So woke up in the morning, no contractions, like got our childcare all set stopped at my eyelash fill appointment. <laughs> my, my Priorities. Was, yeah, obviously. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I looked beautiful when I was holding my baby. So my tech was like, oh gosh, you're still pregnant. I was like, oh yeah, my water broke yesterday. She was so freaked out. She's like, are you sure you should be here? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I'm not having any contractions. It's cool. So I showed up after that looking glam, ready. And so I got there around, I think around 11. So it's like 11 a.m. on Saturday. And, and so I just wanted to sort of like bounce on the ball, get myself settled, set up my space. Okay. So setting up my space was really important. I wanted it to feel cozy and quiet. And so, yeah, I was just kind of like joking around with my husband and then Melissa came and I shared my birth framework, not a plan, but a framework with my providers. And we were all really excited. Like I felt really loved and excited and supported and no pressure. There was no stress about the fact that I was ruptured for that amount of time. So in that way, again, like I already felt like, okay, like, so what if I'm here on this day? Like everything can still go the way it's supposed to go, right? So it gave me some time, some little contractions I think were happening. And then around five o'clock after a check, again, no one's telling me what my checks are. We decided to do a Foley balloon to do the catheter. Again, I felt comfortable with this intervention. We asked about different things and we decided, okay, cool, let's do the Foley. <laughs> this is amazing. So we do the Foley, I would say like around five o'clock. And we're up like listening to great music, like kind of having a dance and legit like a cork popping out of a champagne bottle. My Foley like popped out and landed on the floor. Melissa and I had never heard or seen anything like that before. Like it sounded like a gunshot. We're kind of like, what was that? And pretty much like right after that, contractions started happening. and. um I felt so excited. Like I felt so excited. And I just kept saying out loud and I made sure to say it out loud. Like, I'm so excited. Like, this is so great. I'm so appreciative of this contraction. Did it feel great? No, it's a contraction, but it, but that's like what I wanted. And then I went to the throne 
and I sat on the toilet. And I don't know why more people don't like to sit on the toilet because it's the best. It is the best. So we turned off the lights in the bathroom. I had battery operated candles. So we had like a whole vibe. I worked for months on my birth playlist and that was all I heard. All I heard for hours and hours. So that was in there. And I just sat there on the toilet. I remember I had my hands, palm, like my palms facing up on both knees and just breathing, like letting the contractions come, riding the contractions. And then in my mind, I remember like smiling in my mind and just saying like, I'm so grateful to be experiencing this. And then (laughs) there's always an end down. And then I remember, I can't even remember who it was, but someone tapped me on the knee and like in a very soft voice, they're like, Desiree, could we check your blood pressure again? I'm like, ugh, why? Why? And first it was like the electric blood pressure and then it was the um, manual cuff. And I'm like, oh man, all right, like what's happening? And I'm like, look, let's try to like think of some things that we could do to get your blood pressure down, okay? Because it's a little bit high And that was kind of like all that was said. Instead of like saying words that would put me into like a negative place, okay? Like, oh, Desiree, we have to do something now, right? I think like the way things are said are so important. And I was like, okay, cool. So let's let's try the nitrous, right? Like, because maybe it's just that things are getting intense and that's what's elevating my, my blood pressure. So... We tried the nitrous and then I think this is where the the things that people say about like being out of your body happened to me. So when I think it's kind of like blurry here, <laughs> but I think what happened was upon being offered the nitrous, they wanted me to sit in the bed. Okay, I don't know how anybody labors laying down or sitting in a bed. I just once I was put in that bed, it was like an animal was let loose. It was so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable. And I think that my discomfort went from like a five to a nine probably. And I, and I remember like, it's, it's honestly spotty. Like I remember that going to me being on hands and knees on the floor holding the nitrous to my face and just screaming as loud as I could into the nitrous, like the mask. And I remember feeling like I was, it was like the exorcist. Like I was at the top of the ceiling, like watching this happening. To me, that doesn't seem like something that's going to help get your blood pressure down. No, definitely not. If you're like screaming and feeling disassociation, that's not quite helping with that. definitely not. And One of the things that I remember, which was really helpful, was my midwife kind of saying, Desiree, go low and go slow, go low and go slow. I I remember like this point and saying, okay, I just need five seconds to like get ready for the next contraction. I just need a break. And then I remember Melissa saying the single most beneficial thing she did to me the entire labor was telling me to stop shaking my head side to side and just move it up and down. And that was like, brought me back to where I needed to be in gratitude. And I looked at her and I said, something's not right. And I think knowing that I was able to take control again, I was able to know without anybody else telling me that something just wasn't right with my body. And I could identify 
like that the pain in this one way was different. So we decided that my blood pressure wasn't coming down. Obviously it was having like an out-of-body experience. (laughs) And I felt like something just wasn't right. And so I allowed them to do another check and we talked about options because my blood pressure, I think was like 180 over 103 or 102 or something. It was high. And in the back of my head, I'm like, I do not want magnesium. I don't. I hated it last time. And I wanted to just see if there was anything else that we could do before that. And so we decided together to try an epidural because we know that sometimes epidurals can lower your blood pressure. And truth be told, even though I honestly both times wanted an unmedicated birth, I was like, oh, cool. I felt the pain. You know what? A little bit of relief doesn't sound so bad. So I'm here for it. (laughs) Like, Let's do it. We did the epidural and ta-da, it worked. And my blood pressure was great. And it wasn't preeclampsia. I mean, epidurals can be a great tool if you need a solid rest. If you are in a point of overwhelm where things are miserable, and that's a miserable experience is no good, have it as pain management. And like you're saying in this case, to bring down that blood pressure, because in fact, that epidurals are really good at bringing down the blood pressure, so much so that they give you two bags of fluid ahead of time before getting the epidural to shore up your blood pressure because they know it's going to tank. Right. So I think I got the epidural like close to 11 p.m. I think I slept a little. I think we all kind of just slept a little bit. And then I remember having a powwow with Melissa. And she came over and I just remember saying to her, I just need like reassurance again, right? Like, am I going to do this? Like I can do this. And I, I think the reason why I asked her in that way was not necessarily because I doubted myself, but because I knew she was someone that I could trust a hundred percent and that she would be straight with me, which she was. And then A little while later, I think it was sort of like close to 3 a.m. Because I think it was around three hours. I was like, Melissa, can you wake up? I said, I'm really shaking a lot. And so a couple minutes later, my midwife came in and did a check. And she's like, yeah, you're fully dilated. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, And then I didn't feel like the urge to push until after 4 a.m. And so during this time, I'm like a little bit resting, but I'm putting myself in a more favorable position. And then I felt like I wanted to push. So one hour became two hours, became three hours and just kept going. And we just were really trying all of the things to get her to come down and engage so many different positions that you could be in with having that epidural. I pushed on hands and knees. I was doing like tug of war with the rebozo on my sides, trying everything. And then at the very end, after the four hour mark, decided to do welchers. I do want to explain welchers just really quickly. It's a position to open the inlet of the pelvis, which means that just knowing that you were doing welchers, your baby was really high still. So it's it really hard to describe. You have to look at it. So you can see it in spinningbabies.com or Google it. Yeah. Yeah. 
but it is just the position that's like really uncomfortable lying with your legs off the side of the bed and Mm -hmm. flat on your back and kind of like helping open that inlet, the top part of your pelvis. Yes. And that definitely worked. And of course, still had work to do after that. I never felt like I couldn't continue pushing. I don't even remember if I felt exhausted or not. I just felt so focused. And I tried to bring myself back to that place where I was in the bathroom, like between pushes, resetting and gratitude. Like, okay, I'm grateful that I got to like do this push. And then I think at the very end, I heard my midwife say the word vacuum. And in my head, I was like, no, so that's not going to happen. You know how to motivate me, I suppose. And then it was like not very long after that, that I just was able to reach my hand down between my legs and feel her head there, which was so exciting. And then my husband, his name is Bill. He really wanted to help catch the baby. And what's really funny is the song Easy Like Sunday Morning was playing while like I, he had his hand on her head and the song like just changed over and then she was born and he helped like grab her and put her on my chest. And it was like the most, I felt like there aren't words for that moment. Like I was so blissed out and felt like Beyonce with like the longest superhero cape. Like it was like the adrenaline high that you get. Like, oh my gosh, it was so incredible and so hard and so empowering. And to this day, like if somebody had a magic wand that was like, okay, exact same birth, same level of pain, same length of time, would you do it? Oh my gosh, I would do it again, like at this very second. It was amazing. It was so cool. And she was so cute with, she was so covered in birthday frosting and the cutest cone head off to the side because she oh, was asynclitic. Showing, yeah, showing you yes. how asynclitic she was. <laughs> oh my gosh, so much. And Hence I really, four hours of pushing. <laughs> that was definitely the hardest physical and mental thing I've ever done. And it was like, ah, I still feel it. Like these months later, like just, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was so empowering. Like that's the number one word I would use for it. Well, and I do want people to hear that you pushed for over four hours, but you weren't feeling tired. Like the power of those birth hormones, right? It's a different mental space. It's a different body space. And that coupled with having a team that is really invested in trying to figure out how to create a better path for this baby so that they can come out. For sure. Desiree, what a roller coaster. Like what an amazing (laughs) story. And thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure. That was VBAC mom and owner of Harmony Birth Doula Services, Desiree Whittle. Desiree specializes in supporting pregnancy after infertility and loss, or as she calls it, expecting after the unexpected. You can find Desiree on Instagram at Harmony Births. One thing you can do for you is learn about the different positions that you can use for labor and birth and practice them ahead of time. This is going to give your body some muscle memory 
and allow you to become familiar with some of the less straightforward ones, like the Walters position mentioned by Desiree. To make that easier for you, we've included a link to the position in the show notes. Then the one thing you can do for the rest of us is share, support, and contribute, if you can, to the VBAC Facts Academy BIPOC Scholarship Fund. This fund helps make VBAC education more accessible. Learn more at academy.vbacfacts.com. You can connect with Birthful on Instagram at Birthful Podcast. And to learn more about Birthful and my birth and postpartum preparation classes, go to birthful.com. Birthful was created by me, Adriana Lozada, and is a production of LWC Studios. The show's senior producer is Paulina Velasco. Jen Chen is executive editor. Cedric Wilson is our lead producer. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer and mixed this episode. Thank you for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Amazon Music, Spotify, and everywhere you listen. And come back for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.